Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the keys of the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God. What are the keys to the kingdom? How do you get in? Do you, do you have the keys to the kingdom? I mean, what what do those keys look like? Um, uh, where do you keep them? Uh, how do they work? Uh, this is what Christ came to tell us, and he talked about keys, and he talked about being a door, and he was telling us something that uh, was often represented by metaphor, and we talk about metaphor all the time. The Old Testament is just absolutely chocked full of metaphors because of the nature of the language. Uh, everything had both a physical uh, meaning like an actual thing, like the reins of a horse. And uh, that also meant to have the control of something. And we have such metaphors in our own language. And uh, if we misinterpret and ident- you know, unmoor the metaphor from its actual meaning, then we'll do crazy things like piling up rocks and burning up sheep and thinking that's the sacrifice that Jesus or God was talking about in the Old Testament. And that's crazy. Nobody was binding themselves together to risk life and limb to fight along the side of Abraham against a, a superior military force because, yeah, we always burn up sheep together. No. That isn't, they didn't think that burning up sheep was worshiping God. This is not what they were doing. Now, there were people who did such things. I remember reading, you know, they talk about Ephesus and uh, they found the uh, ashes of burnt bones in the excavating of the temple of Ephesus. And they thought, well, this is evidence of animal sacrifice. And certainly there was animals burned up in there, but actually the bone ash, which is what they were making, they were burning up bones, uh, is used in the process of metallurgy, uh, of uh, dealing with uh, this uh, silver and gold coins that they were making in that temple, which was really the World Bank. Uh, Had uh, subscribers all over the world built by 127 different countries. We reduce these historical uh, buildings and and, uh, customs down to B-movie type impressions of what was actually going on in some of these extremely complex societies. We see the same thing in, in some of the societies that were not even that old, how complex they were. They were able to make things and do things that today people can't reproduce. They don't know how they did it. Highly complex societies, highly uh, involved artisanry is in these places. And when we read the Bible, we read the metaphor, I am the door, you know, the keys of the kingdom. Uh, What is he talking about? What is, let's not unmoor the metaphor from its true meaning and put the Bible back in its actual historical context and we might get a better understanding of what is actually going on. 
I like to go kind of what's been going on this week. A lot of things been going on, conferences with ministers. I see uh, different congregations helping people with medical bills and uh, wanting to help others with uh, some of their difficulties, uh, you know, taking care of their family. Uh, This is, you know, the early ministers were all, most all married men. And this is very important because they were married, they had families, their families had been raised by them as they become older and they become ministers of ministers because they have this experience of dealing with the issues of raising a family, dealing with the the patient. I have two bachelor brothers who never had uh, children. One finally did get married, but they were past the age of uh, having children, and so they never raise children. They don't know what that's like. They know what it's like to take care of themselves. Uh, I pointed out, you know, I had six children, and uh, uh, I pointed out to a bachelor uh, once when he he made a comment uh, about the fact that we when we bought cheese in a block, we bought it in like a five pound block. And he thought, well, you 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 live so extravagantly. Well, wait a minute now. I've got six kids. That's eight people in the family. I often have people staying here besides ourselves, and uh, I have I don't have thirty two teeth in my mouth. I have over three hundred in my mouth because I'm taking care of all these other people. Uh, when we now that most of my kids are grown, I mean, we still have. Uh, two or three other people staying in with us almost all the time. Uh, but uh, when we we fix meals, we fix meals for a large number of people. And now we have to, you know, we fix a meal <laughs> and uh, we're having leftovers for a week <laughs> because we're still cooking uh, for the larger number that we don't have, but fortunately we have lots of visitors, so it goes pretty quick. But uh, the reality is, is that taking care of that family gives you a different mindset. You, you know, you you put up wood in the summertime for the winter, and you know that the winter is going to be so long, and so you know you're going to probably need so much wood, but you always cut a little bit extra. Yeah, because you never know when you you might have that bad winter. Uh, somebody posted, I guess there was a bad winter storm this time uh, in about 1978, and it just buried people in snow uh, all over the place because of the fact that uh, it was this early storm and heavy with snow. Well, we were painting our house, priming and painting our house uh, on the same date you know, now, uh, of course, you could attribute that to global warming, but I've seen, you know, on May 23rd, one of the worst snowstorms we ever had was here. Well, the grass is growing, and the grass was actually growing then, but a storm came through at these high elevations, and it buried sheep and suffocated them because things change from year to year. So when you're putting up food for the year or putting up wood for the year, you compensate for that that time when things might be difficult. And 
you know, you can't get up in the woods to cut firewood in the wintertime because the snows are too deep. So you have to cut it in the summertime. So you make preparations. When you have a family, that is accentuated even more so. You understand the economy of a family. You understand the difficulties. You know, the economy of sleep. When you have small children and they're waking up or when sickness comes through the house and you, you're, you're doctoring one child after another, it seems to have to go through everybody. And, uh, and you still have to go to work and you still have to do chores and everybody pulls the slack and the kids all learn to help one another. There was a motto in our house. Until your, all the chores are done, your chores are not done. Because the kids would have a tendency to think, well, I only have to do this. I only have to take care of the chickens and the eggs. And so once mine done, I can go do what I want. But no. Okay, you're done with your chores. Go help your brother and your sister do their chores. And they were always a small amount of chores, but that was something they had to do every day. And that was a responsibility. Other kids don't grow up with that. They don't even make their bed. They don't clean their room. Uh, we were just talking with a group of people last night and saying that, you know, uh, kids 20 years old didn't know how to do the laundry, didn't know how to wash their own clothes. Their mother had done it. And so, you know, my daughter has taken a policy to you kids are responsible for washing your own clothes. <laughs> and they all know how to use the washing machine. It's not like they're out there pounding them on a rock or something. They... But she's noticed certain repercussions from that is that uh, the daughter doesn't wear as many different outfits during the day. <laughs> she doesn't change her clothes so often because she's, in just, you know, they would just throw it in the clothes hamper. Now, what does this have to do with the keys of the kingdom? Well, think about that. A, a child changes her clothes three or four times during the day because she wants to wear a different outfit or whatever. And she just throws them in the hamper, and there's no skin off her nose. She doesn't have to wash those clothes. Uh, getting the clothes dirty, uh, she doesn't have to wash them. So it's not a concern. When she has to take care of herself, it becomes a concern. And this is an important key to the kingdom, is that individual responsibility. If you live in a house that somebody else built, somebody else is paying the power bill, somebody else is you know, paying the taxes, somebody else is, you know, you're living at home with your folks. You don't understand family economy yet. You're still dependent upon somebody else making the ends meet, making sure there's enough firewood that uh, will get you through the winter. But in a family, it's not just, you don't just think about you. You have to eat the whole house. So you're not just gathering enough firewood to heat your room. <laughs> you have to heat the whole house. And maybe you have to heat the shop. And and maybe you have to, we have a guest trailer. We may have to heat that. So you have to make preparations for all these things. And when you have this family, you you understand family economy. A single guy doesn't understand that family economy. But the kingdom of God is not just a family. It's a nation. It's lots of families. It's not just a congregation. It's lots of congregations of families. Three assemblies. 
How do you provide for all these free assemblies? If people really were believers, like the early church were believers, there would be a constant flow of funds into the church when people fell on hard times, you know, like uh, maybe they had uh, an injury or uh, sickness that came to the family, or a fire. You know, a fire came to and you, you they lost their home. I mean, Amish do this all the time. How do you build that home back quickly and efficiently and completely? Well, you have to have people, you know, flowing resources into the church so that the church would have those funds to run over there and make sure that a shelter is put up. Maybe maybe you would just get a small uh, trailer to pull in there and park so that that person had shelter while they were building their home and uh, or rebuilding it. And then you'd have people coming that would help them build it. We, we had somebody who lost a home uh, in a very remote area of the country, uh, distance from most congregations. People drove thousands of miles, literally thousands of miles, to come up there and help them build a new house. And they got a lot of it built, but then now there still needs to be more done. But uh, it could have been completed but uh, at the time, but it actually is taking a little bit longer period of time. It's not that he wasn't without shelter, but uh, uh, there are a lot of other things that came into the situation. But if you added up the number of hours and the miles driven, and the gasoline consumed, and the windows donated, it actually comes to quite a sum. And they did it willingly. And it, that's the beginning of the kingdom, to start taking care of one another. Uh, somebody falls short on a mortgage payment, and they're not going to be able to make it, and they'll default. People come through so that they don't default on the mortgage payment. Uh, people get injured. They have hospital bills. The church helps negotiate those bills, brings the, their costs down, brings the burden of them down. Other things come up with businesses. People come up with ideas on how to help, or they actually do help uh, get the business over that particular problem or this particular problem. Uh, other expenses, because families have expenses that... Uh, you know, a single person might not have, and so they need uh, assistance from time to time. Now, of course, when you give assistance, somebody pays a mortgage bill for you or somebody pays a rent bill for you or, or, or these different things, you should want to pay the church back, but it's not like a bank. Uh, it's But this is kingdom thinking. You want to pay them back so that they have funds for the next person who suddenly has a need. And uh, I've seen and I've talked to ministers who've had, uh, or they helped out somebody who was in desperate need. And uh, they helped them out. And they, you know, they might even said thank you. But they, you know, they helped them out through the church. The church minister actually provided the money that they needed. But when they got back on their feet, they did not send any money to the church. They just say, well, they gave it to me. It's mine. I can just go now. Well, they certainly can just go. 
but they don't understand kingdom yet. They're not believers. You see, that was the whole thing at that time. And if you take his, you know, the Bible out of the context of history, you don't know what was really going on. At that time, Rome had gone from a republic to an indirect social democracy. And they were electing commanders and chiefs. You know, at the name of a commander and chief of uh, Rome was called Imperator. That's the word for commander and chief. Most people don't know it, but he was elected to that position of commander and chief. Now there were he had his own army, uh, but there were other people who had their own army. You know. Uh, the Romans were allowed to have weapons. And they had, uh, you know, some of the first armies that were put together by the Romans were going off to mine gold or to uh, their navy was uh, actually in the trade business. They were building ships about the size of Noah's Ark and moving around with tens of thousands of pounds of cargo. And... Uh, Hundreds of seamen and oarsmen on one ship, along with hundreds of passengers uh, on these ships. They were gigantic, and they were moving about. But they, because they carried so much cargo, so much trade goods, because they would take trade goods to, like, Egypt, and then they would load up with grain or maybe stone or marble or limestone and they would take that to some place that didn't have those things and trade up and they would trade all over the Mediterranean Romans went and traded all the way to Great Britain into uh, the Scandinavian countries and they did this they were hauling valuable stuff. If somebody overcame their ship, they would steal all their stuff and sink the boat, and they'd all be rich. So they also had men on board who were soldiers and training soldiery. They might double as oarsmen, but they were also soldiers. This was their navy. Now, as time went on, they they ended up having ships that were specifically designed for fighting at sea. And uh, and they would be manned with soldiers, and they would go along with some of the trade ships to protect them. And the same way with the guys who were going up and mining or building trading colonies. You know, you would build a harbor on the coast, and you would protect that harbor city. Everybody in the city would be armed, and there would be some that were professional soldiers, but there would be some that, you know, were more like militia, because originally that's where Rome depended entirely on a militia. So in the, these complex societies, this is how they developed and they learned how to function. But Rome had become a socialist state, free bread in circuses. That's why you hear these phrases. This was changing the nature of their culture, changing the way things are, and bringing people into subjection. That's, uh, that's, I'll, I'll read to you after the break, I'll read you a quote uh, from uh, one of the, probably one of the most famous historians of the Roman Empire. And he talks about Rome and uh, what was happening to Rome 
because they were changing the way in which they operated as a society. And that change was beginning to change the people of society. So one of the keys to the kingdom is to change the way you relate to one another. Somebody was just talking on Facebook about uh, buy nothing clubs. And what it is, it's a giving club. And uh, they, they, everybody has something they want to give away. Somebody needs something that other people may not want. And so they mentioned it on these Facebook buying clubs or not buying clubs. And uh, they, they get these things. It's a gifting uh, club, so to speak. And uh, is that part of the keys to the kingdom? Because we know that uh, the early church was big for charity. They were gifting too, but how do you do that? How do you set that up? Is that part of the keys of the kingdom? Uh, Because, you know, everybody likes to receive a gift. Everybody likes to give something. Uh, But how can you have an actual economy operating that way? How can you have a whole society operating that way? And what takes place in the people themselves, in their spirit, what what draws near into their spirit and becomes a part of them when you start that gifting process? And then when you gift, I mean, who do you give to? How much do you give? Uh, when is gifting a bad thing? Because we've had, in this process of helping out families, we've had families actually reject gifts. Because they say it's too much, receiving too much free is not good for us. And they recognize that. And they actually say, no, we don't want everything, you know, all of our bills paid off for us. Because, you know, there was money coming in to do that. But they said, no, we want to pay some of it ourselves because we think that's important. And it certainly is. It's character building, which takes us back to... And those children who are learning to do their own laundry, you know, not even teenagers yet, and they know how to do their laundry. How many teenagers know how to do their own laundry? (laughs) And that's important because it teaches them responsibility, realizing, well, you know, if I just keep throwing these clothes in, my, my laundry starts bounding up, and suddenly they start saying, well, they start adding a little frugality to the things that they were doing before because they they have to suffer the repercussions of that. And that takes us back to ministers who have uh, have had children and families. They understand, yeah, I could just go out and buy this for myself, but what happens if my child needs something? What happens if my you know son needs something? If I've spent this money on me, I don't have it to spend on them. And so you you've had this constant reminder of this reality which is very important in the ministry and we'll tell you more about that why when we come back Well, 
Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh, a couple of the stories that were in the news, of course, we've discovered that there was a whole lot more corruption going on amongst the high-up levels of government. Uh, immoral corruption, uh, this sex island, something or other, that's, uh, I don't even know where it's at. <laughs> Uh, but people have been going there, and all kinds of abuses evidently have been taking place. And then now, uh, child pornography and uh, and pedophilia is evidently rampant. Of course, now we've had evidence of that for a long time. Uh, Ted Gunderson, whether you like him or not, uh, with former F- head of the FBI in Los Angeles, had hundreds of agents under his authority say that these pedophile rings are rampant in our government, high up in our government. Uh, uh, Along with the generals uh, in the military uh, have come out and said the same thing, Uh, but the media doesn't report it. And so if you don't hear about it on Fox News, if they don't pound it into you at the 6 o'clock news, uh, people think it's not really happening, or they don't want to think it's happening. But the evidence of it, historians will report it probably someday, uh, just like they did in Rome, uh, the uh, immorality. Because, you know, this power that you centralize in the hands of a few people, in the oligarchies of society, uh, corrupts those people. And they begin to do things they would not have normally done because you've given them all this power, which is really temptation. Christ was given all kinds of power, but he didn't fall to the temptation. King David did, but King David was called a king after God's own heart because he repented. You know, he, he had this relationship with Bathsheba, who was the wife of one of his generals, uh, who was not an Israelite. Uh, I believe he was a Hittite, and uh, that he sinned. He sinned against his people by doing this, certainly against uh, uh, his general uh, by the abuse of his power. And uh, But he repented. Uh, he was confronted with it, and he repented. He was sore he did it. And he reigned for an awful long time. You don't have a lot of stories of bad things that he did. But he did do some bad things because power corrupts. And so when you get people to vote, you're giving them power. You know, you're at least giving the majority of the people in the country the power over the minority of the people in the country. And that power corrupts as well. And it corrupts the people. The system that you establish to govern yourselves whether it's a centralized oligarchy or a single king or president, executive order or legislature, these things have an effect on who you are and the way you act and react in society, the way you govern yourselves. And this, of course, is where Polybius comes in. Polybius was this historian back in 200 years B.C., I mean, it's 200 years before Christ. He was actually a Greek, and he had been deported to Rome during one of the conquest areas of the Greek city-states. But he was a renowned historian, considered to be the historian of historians. And he said things like, you know, democracies always fail. Why did he even bring that up? Because at that time, the Republic, the Roman Republic, was becoming 
a democracy, giving the people, the plebs of society, uh, a power of vote, where they would vote in certain people that were getting more and more power as time went on. It didn't start out this way. They had very little power. As a matter of fact, the original Senate was just the old men, and they didn't have any executive power. They just had kind of... Uh, uh, a gathering to kind of bring people together. It was a free assembly. They couldn't legislate all kinds of things. The average man was pretty free. There was very little taxes. And there didn't need to be because the army was a militia, which was every household. Uh, but they were organized into these hearths, into what we call today the tens, hundreds, and thousands, where you know, that you, you took care of all the social welfare in your local community through these little gatherings, these uh, gatherings of hearths, gatherings of families, gatherings of clans, and you took care of each other. And if, if someone were to attack this group over here, uh, say in northern Italy, the people in southern Italy would come to their aid. Why would they come to their aid? Because each of these groups would take some funds and send down or send up through this tens, hundreds, and thousands, and those funds would be used to pay for aid, uh, maybe build a bridge, maybe build an aqueduct, maybe to bring in fresh water for a community that was having trouble with fresh water. And uh, they would provide services, but it was all based on charity. That they would be, when they built, you know, originally temples were not temples, they were areas. Areas that were, you know, these funds would go and the, and the priests who manned those areas would receive those funds and then they would turn around and do something for society with those funds, either individually uh, promote the general welfare or, uh, you know, the welfare of a particular family or something that had, you know, something bad happened and needed help. And if they did a good job, people gave them more because people it was a giving society, a gifting society. And that's what these priests were, to receive these gifts and redistribute them. Well, why don't we just give it directly when we see a need? Well, you could certainly do that, and Romans certainly did do that. Hospitality was, was an essential part of that society. But you need to make sure that somebody is not overlooked. And so you organize yourselves into these tens, hundreds, and thousands, and there's somebody, it's just a buddy system times ten. Somebody's making sure that you don't fall between the cracks, that you don't get overlooked if there's a need. If you don't show up, somebody goes to your house or hut and finds out why you didn't show up. You know, they, they check on you. We do that out here. We have a widow who lives a little bit remote from everybody else. You can't see her place. Uh, you can see the tops of the trees, but she if she doesn't get up and show up somewhere, people actually go check on her. We used to have a guy who's a rancher way out on the desert, and he was getting a little senile, and he would get in his car and just start driving, and nobody knew where he went. <laughs> and he, he wasn't sure where he was going either. And people would see his car going by, and they would be calling up and says, hey, you know, I just seen your dad going down the road, you know, and Somebody would go and 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 pull him over and say, "Hey, where are you going?" <laughs> and 
ah, and I don't know where I'm going. Well, it said, you back. And, and so they eventually hid the car keys, but people were watching out for each other. And that what they did in those day and age is they set up the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now the, this fa- the, the ten families together, all their sons formed a platoon. And ten such platoons formed a company. And so this is how they took care of things. If there was a fire, if there was an attack, if there was a robbery, this it, you gave your time into this group to help the general welfare of society. But they changed things. They started doing it different. They started taxing people. They were still a lot of giving going on, but there was also taxes. Usually they taxed foreigners. You know, people that tried to start a fight with them and were conquered, and then now you have to pay us tribute. But eventually this spread all throughout the empire. You were taxed on the number of slaves because that was kind of the unemployment tax. If if these slaves ended up on the streets, the government had to take care of them. You know, the free bread and circuses, we call it EBT cards now and food stamps. But the government started taking that responsibility, and they also started taking the power to tax the people to provide the funds. It wasn't free will giving anymore. And this was a change that took place very slowly over about 100 years. It actually, you might be able to trace it back 150 years. We certainly did the same thing back in the 1850s. We started public education. It was, you know, minority of people were educated in public schools. Most were educated in in private schools that were funded by the local communities. But public schools started showing up all over the place. And it wasn't until the 1900s that most people were educated, you know, that 51% of the people were educated in public schools. And that was in early 1910, that's one that we shifted where over half the people educated were educated in public schools. Now, most everybody was educated, but only half now were educated in public schools. And now that number has grown and grown and grown, although there's been a reaction. You know, millions of people are homeschooling now, lots of kids in private schools. But even the private schools are somewhat controlled because there's revenue sharing, et cetera, et cetera. And so curriculum is is not as free as it ought to be. And then, of course, the people who are even starting the private schools, many of them went to public schools. So anyway, the historian 200 years before Christ is talking about society. And he says the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of a rule of force and violence. The people, having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, institute the rule of violence. And now, uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. Now, that's Polybius, 200 years before Christ, talking about Rome, who 300 years before that 
had thrown out the Tarquinian kings and established a republic. Well, America established a republic. It was actually in existence before the American Revolution, but they moved towards these republic values. A republic, the leader's only titular. This is in the definition. See, most people think a republic is this indirect democracy that you have today, but that's not a republic. A republic, the leaders are titular. They don't have any power to take away your property and give it to those who will vote for them. <laughs> they they are titular. They don't have that kind of authority. We've shifted from that by numerous ways. There, We have put keys in locks that unopened Pandora's box. Christ was giving us a key to lock up Pandora and another key to open the door to freedom. And this is what we need to know is what those keys look like. They don't look like a welfare state that operates through force and fear and violence. And this is what John the Baptist was preaching. He was preaching the kingdom of heaven was at hand within your reach for the living, not for the dead. And they asked us, asked him, how does it work? And he says, you've got something extra. You know, you got an extra coat. And your neighbor doesn't have a coat. Share. Give that extra coat to your neighbor. If the same is going on with food, do the same with food. In other words, those of you who have, share with those of you who do not have enough. Now, you have to share in a way that strengthens them. Because the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. And also, giving in a time of affluence is fairly easy to do. And these gifting clubs, that's what they're talking about. I don't need this. I'll give this to somebody who does need it. To me, it's junk. I've got too many shoes. You know, I got. You know, I've seen. I've been in homes where people have like two, three hundred pairs of shoes, and they're not even living there. They have another apartment somewhere else. <laughs> they got two, three hundred pairs of shoes. I wouldn't even have time to go and buy that many shoes. <laughs> I actually keep some of my older shoes that are not completely wore out, or people will give us shoes and we keep them up in a little storage deal. But we keep them up there to give to somebody else. We don't keep them there like I'm going to wear a different pair of shoes every single day. But some people live like that. It's just amazing. Um, but the point is, is getting in a time of affluence is fairly easy when you're, everything's going. Will you give when there's not much food in your larder? That's one of the prophets. Remember, the woman had almost no food left whatsoever. She was going to prepare her last meal, and then they were going to starve to death. They were probably pretty thin at that point because they had probably been cutting back and rationing and everything, and they, they figured, I'll fix this and I'll die. And they shared it with the prophet, and they never ran out of food after that. You need to understand the principle of that, the metaphor of that. You need to start sharing now. This is the key to the kingdom of God. You need to start sharing with others on a regular basis, giving and gifting. We have, out here in this country, we're pretty remote, and we don't have, you know, I mean, there's miles between houses at times. Um, and they'll have a garage sale, like down in uh, the local town, Paisley. 
And uh, we even had one up here in Summer Lake, which was almost a joke because there's, there's not that many people, although there's a little more now. We're going to have a garage sale, and, and everybody took stuff down to one place because, uh, you know, it's kind of like a flea market of garage sales. And uh, what it really amounted to was trading junk. <laughs> uh, I took my stuff down, and I traded my junk for junk your junk because I could use some of your junk and and people went down to the garage sale and literally came back with more junk than they had before <laughs> but you know still it probably served a purpose because some people you know you kids grow out of clothes they don't need the baby clothes this size that's what you know that's another thing uh, people who have can trade away clothes that they don't need to people who might need it or give it away or whatever. And that's what the festivals used to be. Uh, Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. People brought their wares that they had produced, their their olive oil and extra sheep and uh, woolen goods and and pottery and whatever it is that you made that were essential items, and you went to the festival. And people came with wagon loads and burros and donkeys, and then, of course, people brought feed and everything and it was supposed to be giving but it was also trade because I don't need all this so I'll trade it for some of those things that you don't need that many of and we'll trade I mean that's what it is you've made us somebody's a really good potter he makes lots of pots he trades them away for things that he doesn't make and somebody who makes what he does need who doesn't make pots, he says, well, I'll take some of those pots and you can have these. And they're just trading. And the charity in it is how you go about trading. And that was part of the economy. But they were also, it says in there, that when you go from these festivals, you are not to leave the Levites empty-handed. In other words, if you... If you uh, traded a lot of your pots and got a lot of stuff, you should take some of your pots and just give them to the Levites. And, of course, the Levites can use them if they need them, but the idea was that they would have pots for somebody who was poor and didn't have a pot. And they would say, well, we have surplus here. We have extra because people gave it to us. And so we would give it, pass it on to you. And the people say, that guy was really good. I heard stories about how he helped out his family and, you know, that family's house burned down or maybe it was an earthquake or whatever. And they came with the surplus and helped people out. And so people funded them. They were the FEMA of their day. The Levites were the FEMA of their day. They were the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary. And they were providing a government service. But it was a government that did not exercise authority one over the other. It was a government that did not operate by rule of force and violence, but by charity and by gifting. And you gave to the Levites, and the Levites were men of service, and so they gave to the other people. And they they made sure that they were taken care of. They weren't building, again, back to that temples. I said the temples were areas. They weren't buildings. They were areas where you would bring this surplus or have these festivals 
and you would bring your extra there and give to them and the Levites own land in common and they would put, you know, if you bought them and gave them sheep, they'd put the sheep on there. And then they would have those sheep to share with people that were hungry and, and needy or had difficulty. But they had to share, again, wisely and strengthen the poor, teach the poor how not to be poor. I had a guy come up to me and say, you know, he was, could you got some money you could give me? And I says, how come you need money? Because I want to know what his problem was. Well, I says, well, I don't have a job. And I says, do you need a job? No, no, we don't want to work with, we, we're camped out of town and everything. And I says, so you don't want to work, but you want me to give you money. And he says, well, yeah, it's kind of a lifestyle. I says, well, I got a lifestyle too. I work and earn my way. And I help other people learn how to do the second. <laughs> So you're not getting any money from me today because your lifestyle is not compatible with my lifestyle. You, He has a lazy lifestyle. Sit around, beg, get stuff from other people. And one of the things I noticed, somebody sent me a notice this week, today, actually I saw it, where he talks about these gifting clubs. But they didn't call it a gifting club. They, they saw uh, buy-nothing clubs. In other words, you get stuff, but you don't have to buy it. You just get stuff for free. So they're attracting people who want to get stuff for free. Okay, you want to attract people who want to give stuff away for free and want to give it away in such a way that strengthens the poor. That's important because you don't want to make them dependent. Don't feed the bears. It makes them dependent. Don't feed the lazy. It makes them dependent. So, this is an important part of the keys of the kingdom. It's how you give. So when you go, somebody has a need, do they really need more money? Or do they need to help so that they don't end up with a need next week too? Or next month? Or next year? That they learn how to put up enough, you know, we've, we see people who don't put up enough wood. At the end of the year, they're running out of wood. We see people who get welfare checks. But by the end of the month, they're out of money. They haven't managed their money. They haven't, they haven't, you know, they, there was a family getting food stamps and they could also get work, but they didn't really tend to their job. You know, they, they'd be found smoking marijuana instead of doing their job. Or they would come in late. Or they just wouldn't come in on a day. And the people eventually fired them. Well, that's okay because they were already getting food stamps and they had, you know, cheap rent and they could get by and they just got by and they smoked dope a lot. And they don't go to work. They would rather stay home and smoke dope or they just don't show up and they're not dependable. And, you know, they, they don't have children. They don't want children because that would be too much work. And so, and they want to live their own life. They want to go fishing when they want to go fishing. They want to go camping when they want to go camping. They want to go hiking when they want to go hiking. You know, if you had kids, oh, you know, you got to be there for them. You got to take care of them. You might have to work at a regular job. Don't want that. I just get by. Well, that's not someone who's con contribute to society. 
not somebody who is learning to be a leech on society. Do you really want to give them? You really want to, uh, you know, when they find themselves short at the end of the month, you want to bail them out so that they don't have to work, so they don't have to contribute to society, so that they can be dependent upon society rather than an asset of society. He who does not work does not eat. This is the key to the kingdom is that you want to encourage people. And, and sometimes it's just people aren't very good money managers. And they maybe their parents weren't good money managers. And they kind of learned that lifestyle. Well, they need to maybe do things to help them learn to do that. They, they may need help too. But you want to help them, strengthen them. So this is an important part of the keys. But let's get into other keys, other keys. Turn to be after this break. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. keys of the kingdom. So what are these keys? Well, one key is giving. Christ came to serve. That's a part of his character. That's part of the keys of the kingdom. So we talked a little bit about giving, and if you give too much to somebody, you weaken them. You empower them to do nothing. They don't even know how to do their laundry. You know, I gave the example of the child that didn't know how to do his laundry. Children who don't know how to do chores don't know how to be responsible for their pet. I mean, how many times do kids want dogs and the mother ends up taking care of the dog all the time because the kids don't have to because it's easier just to do it yourself than to get the kid to take care of the dog. No, it's not being a parent. They need to take care of certain responsibilities. And that's important to impart to them at an early age, especially for their own their own room. They have to keep their own room clean. They have to clean their own clothes. They have to do their studies. They have to do them in a timely fashion, or they don't get to do whatever they want. Because that's the way life is going to be. And so you teach them that responsibility, how to manage their money. Uh, you know, if they don't manage it right, then they're going to suffer the consequences. You don't you're not prepared for life. If you're not preparing your children, they will not be prepared for life. So that's the same way with God, the Father. He wants you to be prepared. He wants you to learn to be responsible. He wants you to learn to love your wives and love your husbands and love your children and take care of them. 
He doesn't want you to have the fathers of the earth taking care of your children or your neighbor's children because people need help from time to time. Your kids try to do things and they, they don't make it. You help them out. And, but then you try to encourage them to be better next time. And it's the same with your neighbors. You help them out. But you also want to do it in a way that encourages them to be better the next time. To strengthen them. To make them independent. Don't feed the bears. Don't feed the bums. It makes them dependent. <laughs> so so who's the bum? You handing $10 out the window because somebody has a sign that says, I need help? Do they need help? Or are we going to see them go over to a car and get in a car and put on a nice coat and to put their old coat in the trunk and and uh, that they're actually just conning people? That happens all the time. This doesn't mean everybody out there is conning, but why don't you have a job? Why aren't you able to work? Why aren't you able to take care of yourself? Why aren't you taking care of a family? Why are you dependent upon other people all the time to live at their expense because this is this is a danger god doesn't want you to live that way he wants you to live by the sweat of your brow not the sweat of everybody else's brow and he wants you he sent the apostles out remember now he sent the apostles out and he said don't even take your purse don't take an extra coat just go out and people will take care of you and what they come back and say, yeah, man, we didn't have to do any work. We just sat around all day and we, you know, we got up when we wanted to, you know, get up at nine, ten o'clock and, and do what we want. And we didn't have to, we, we didn't have, man, it was really cool. No, that's not what they came back and said. They came back and talked about being able to heal people and to help people and that people helped them. And they were amazed how this worked. And people gave to them. They couldn't resist giving to them. Why? Because they saw the sacrifice that these men were making, the chances that these men were taking. It became, but it, you know, those men became lazy and not the work ethic that they should have, the work ethic of Christ. Christ didn't just wash one of the apostles' feet. He washed the feet of all the apostles. He had to get started early to get that done. <laughs> and we're assuming that was only the 12. How do we know it wasn't the 70? Maybe he washed the, uh, maybe it was 120. The point is he, he came to serve. We come to serve. But then later, Jesus says, go out with a purse. Go out with your coat. Go take care of things. Go take care of business. What was the business? The business of charity. Charity to substitute the government that Polybius was talking about. You know, the government that exercised authority and force and control and taxed. What happens is your government is addicted to taxing. It taxes corporate people always make sure that corporations pay their fair share so they don't mind it when corporations are double taxed. Now, corporations are always figuring out ways around it, and they'll lobby and rules that they get away from taxes. But the reason many businesses have left the United States is partially because of the double tax that they're getting. The reason foreign businesses can buy up American businesses is to avoid taxes. 
because we've become addicted to taxes. And it squeezes businesses to the point where they can't even exist. And, of course, the big companies get rules lobbied in where the little guys are taxed more. They don't have as many loopholes as the big guys can come up with because they're the little guys. And this, of course, eliminates competition for the big guys. And, you know, it's just a business plan. It's not personal. It's just business. But what's happened is you've you've got away from the gifting and giving and you've got into the conniving and taking. You know, I, I just put up a new mem shows a picture of a zombie who looks like he's almost deep in thought and and it says that if you think it's okay to, to take a bite out of others because someone took a bite out of you, you're probably a zombie. And that, of course, is what I hear. I hear people saying, well, I'm going to take welfare and I'm going to buy land with the money that I save by taking welfare and food stamps and free education for my kids and all these wonderful benefits that the government is offering, which they have to give by rule of force and violence. You know, they take away from your neighbor to provide these benefits, public school especially. And you say, well, I have to pay in, so it's okay that I take the benefit. And you can think that. But what you're saying is it's okay that I bite from my neighbor because my neighbor took a bite out of me, which is why you're a zombie. And that's actually what will happen. You will become a mindless zombie. You will begin to think that this is perfectly okay. But yet it's a covetous system where you covet your neighbors, you know, because you know there's a lot of people that are going to be taxed to pay for your child's education. They don't even have kids in the school that may be homeschoolers, may send their kids to private school. You're still going to tax them so that you can get the funds to keep your school open so that you don't have to pay for your child's education. Even though statistics show that homeschoolers are better educated than people who go to public school by a very high margin, even including the parents who are unschoolers, who don't have curriculum and don't put effort into it and all this stuff, which I don't necessarily approve of, but that's their choice. But even those kids will come out about the same as public school kids. But it brings the national average of homeschoolers down and it's still 30% higher. It's 30% better education for homeschoolers than those kids who go to school, public school. And they're more likely to have families that continue that without divorce. They're more likely to be larger contributors to their local community. Why would that be? They never went to public school. I have, I have two children now. Their first experience in classrooms is as teach. Actually, I probably have three <laughs> children who their first experience in classrooms was as a teacher because they never went to school. So um, what is that? Why is that? Because this the system of relating and governing yourself with your fellow man has led them to a superior approach to society. Uh, and I, I actually have now seen even some grandchildren who have gone on to schools and they're voting for Hillary. 
<laughs> you know, like, what is that? Uh, crazy. Why do they have these crazy ideas? Where did they get them, people wonder. Well, you send them to a socialist school system. So anyway, we have the idea that giving and taking responsibility for yourself and giving to help other people take responsibility for themselves is definitely a key to the kingdom. What's another key to the kingdom? Can anybody guess what the other one is? It's a lot like giving, but it's not giving. And if you don't learn it, you're not in. I don't care what you tell me you believe. If you don't learn this other skill of society, you're not saved. Even though you tell me you believe in Jesus. So it's a pretty important key. It's one that unlocks a door. See, the giving unlocks a door, but it also locks a door. <laughs> but we won't go into that now. We'll just talk about this this other key, which is probably more important than the first, but I think they're they kind of go hand in hand because you know, we're double locked in and out. Uh, and that this other key is forgiveness. People, you say, oh, well, I've forgiven them. I just don't ever want to talk to them again. I don't want to share anything with them. I don't want to discuss things with them. Cause, but I forgive them. But I don't want to talk to them. You know, of course, you're lying. You haven't forgiven them. Because if you've forgiven them, you wouldn't, it wouldn't matter that he offended you. It wouldn't bother you. You you could talk to him. Yeah, he offended me. He called me names. I could still talk to him because I forgave him. There's no conflict between me and him because I forgave him. Now, you think about that. If you really forgive, what's the conflict? What's the beef? Oh, yeah, but he... No, you haven't forgiven him. You're playing mind games. If you forgive him, you can walk right into the room with him. You can talk to him. doesn't bother you at all. You, you have no conflict between him and you. You forgave them. If you aren't to that state, you haven't really forgiven him. Not really. You haven't really let it go. It's still bugging you. And and you say, well, he, he did this bad thing and this bad thing and that bad thing, or he said this and he doesn't doesn't have a goodly spirit, then why are you worried about going in the room? You should be able to walk into any room. If he really is filled with the spirit of evil, he'll leave. You're supposed to be casting out demons. You're telling me that you won't go into the room with him because he has a demon? How come you haven't cast him out? The demon has cast you out. Because you won't go into that room. You need the keys to hell. You need to be able to walk into hell. If you're saved, no problem. I can go into hell. And hell bows down. Hell is afraid of me. I'm not afraid of hell. You have to be a real forgiver of prostitutes and harlots and... and uh, uh, Republicans and Democrats even. You can go talk to a Democrat <laughs> or a warmongering Republican. 
it doesn't bother you. You walk in forgiveness. Forgiveness is the armor of God for his followers. Because when you forgive, you've gotten judgment out of your life. You've left judgment to God. Most of the people I know who tell me, yeah, I forgive them, they haven't. It's not true. They haven't forgiven them. There's still conflict. Oh, well, I don't. I could go into the room with them. I just don't want to talk with them. I don't want to share things. I don't want. I want them to know my business. You haven't forgiven them. Very important. Now, of course, the business of of the church is the charity of a nation. That's what the church should be. It should be the entire social. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Now, again, people think religion is what they think about God. No, religion is how you perform your duty to God and your fellow man. If you don't perform your duty to God and your fellow man, and your duty to God is to love your neighbor as yourself, if you don't do that, if you're not actively giving and forgiving, then you don't have pure religion. You're not a believer in what Christ came preaching. And therefore, you're not a believer in Christ. And if you're not a believer, you're not saved. If you are a believer, where is the fruits of that belief? Why aren't you giving and forgiving? Now, the fact is, is a lot of people give and a lot of people forgive. But you have to... Do it with your whole heart, mind, and soul. You can't say, well, I'll forgive him, I'll forgive him, but that guy, I'm not forgiving. <laughs> you have to forgive them all. And it's amazing. If you really are forgiving, it takes a tremendous burden off. But what is actually taking place when you're forgiving? I mean, forgiving. You've, you've left judgment behind. You've left judgment to God. You've observed that so-and-so is lying, or so-and-so is not telling the truth, or so-and-so is being lazy. You forgive them. You know, I bless the bum with nothing. <laughs> Here, brother, let me bless you. I'm going to bless you by giving you nothing. So that you learn to be responsible like my 12-year-old grandson <laughs> who has to learn to be responsible for his own uh, jobs. Oh, I have some funny stories, but I won't, I won't tell them. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you, have to, you have to mature in the ways of Christ, in the ways of giving and forgiving. These are the keys to the kingdom of God, more so than probably anything else. Now, there are other overlapping keys to this. You know, it's like a key has many different teeth in a key. You know, and, and each teeth has to, tooth has to line up to move this tumbler or that tumbler out of the way. And if you don't line the key up right, you don't stick it in the lock right, it's not going to open things up. So anyway, we've been talking about how do we kickstart a gift economy and overcome our fear of giving. 
that's what somebody on Facebook asked. They sent a web page to that. Now, another topic that's been so we've talked about that, and of course that's what Christ was teaching people about a gift economy, at least a gift economy of welfare. Uh, people say, well, welfare is a, a product of government. Well, yeah, but welfare by free will offerings, freely given, freely received, freely received, freely given, that's the government of God. That's the kingdom of God. And you have to start giving not just to those people in your congregation that are going to, you know, scratch your back and if you scratch theirs. I will give to you and you give to me. We actually have, I know of a church that actually has a big, huge deal where they, everybody gives stuff and they auction it off. And it's actually a tax scam. <laughs> and, the, you know, I, I didn't quite understand. It was kind of complicated when somebody was explaining it to me about how it works. But they give stuff and then they buy it back. And then so they have the deduction because they gave it away, but then they buy it back. And so they still have the stuff, which now what they bought back now can become part of a depreciation schedule because they spent money on a used machinery, so they kind of like get a double deduction. <laughs> it's amazing. And so the government is actually supporting the church through this clever double deduction thing. <laughs> uh, but they think they're being charitable. Well, they're not going to get any grace in the kingdom of God. Uh, they're getting grace from the tax collector, <laughs> but they're not getting grace from the kingdom of God. It's just absolutely amazing. Uh, the, the contrivances that come up so that they don't have to actually, and, and some of the people, I'm not saying everybody's doing that, but there are some people doing that in these auctions where they give, give stuff away and then they buy it back or they'll buy somebody else's stuff and so that it doesn't look quite so obvious. But it's it's a way of getting increasing their depreciation schedule, and then they also get to deduct the value of the thing that they gave away, uh, which may have already been depreciated. I I don't know exactly how it all works, but evidently it's a very clear tax case. <laughs> but it's a loophole, and they get away with it, and I I don't really care. But it doesn't get them closer to God. The only grace they're going to get doing that is the grace of the gods of this earth, you know, the gods of many, you know, small g gods. They will give them grace, and, the, you know, that's why they're doing that. But the, you want the grace of the kingdom of God, of the God and creator. When the Israelites got down to the shore of the Red Sea, and the army of the Pharaoh got them out of town, so they were kind of vulnerable, because he, he let them go. He says, yeah, you, you, you guys can go. And then he planned on ambushing them. The grace of God intervened with a pillar of fire that stopped them. You want to see a pillar of fire? Stick around. Start seeking the kingdom. I'll show you what a pillar of fire is. Stop them in their tracks so that they could not descend upon the Israelites. And the seas began to part. Now, these are metaphors. Now, it may have actually physically taken place, and there's evidence that it did. But it's also symbolic of, of a spiritual journey that you need to take. And you cannot walk that journey 
unless you freely give and freely receive in a responsible way and freely forgive. Because Jesus said, look, I'm not making this up. Jesus says, if you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. So you can tell me you believe in Jesus all you want. If you're not forgiving, you're not getting there. And it's fine you forgive X, Y, and Z, but what about A, B, and C? Or L, M, and O, P? (laughs) Whatever. You have to walk submerged in forgiveness. Otherwise, whoever you do not forgive, that is your Achilles heel. And you are going to, it will come back and bite you. It will haunt you. It will cause, people will not give to you. They 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 will plan on giving to you, but something will hold them back because you have not put on the full armor of God because there's somebody you haven't forgiven. It creeps in. That anger and judgment creeps in. You can, you can deny it if you want, but you need to learn to really forgive everybody. Everybody. And you don't turn your back on people who you think are evil. No. You turn and face them, and they will flee. We're supposed to be opening the doors to the kingdom of God. We don't flee. They flee. We face them and with the full armor of God, which is forgiveness and love. And evil will flee out the door. And that's a trick because you have the power not to forgive. And that power will corrupt you. You must lay down the power not to forgive and forgive. It requires humility. You cannot be humiliated if you are already humble. So don't tell me, oh, he humiliated me. He ridiculed me. You cannot be humiliated if you are already humble. Matthew sixteen nineteen, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That is the key. You bind yourself to judgment when you judge others. You lose yourself when you forgive others. And power comes into you, and evil will flee. There's one thing evil hates is forgiveness. They don't want you to forgive them. See, because when you're forgiving, you're stepping back and letting God take over. You're, you're trusting in God's judgment that he will take care of this. When you're not forgiving, you think you've got to pass judgment. No. If you want to go into the courts of heaven, you have to let God be the judge, not you. Luke 11:52. Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourself, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Now, the key of knowledge is the knowledge of good and evil? Is that what he's talking about? Or the knowledge of the keys of the kingdom? You know, yea, but for the lack of knowledge. 
You need to know what it means to give. Freely give. And that means that you can't just give to those who will give to you back or are in their position to give to you back. You have to give secretly. And how do you give secretly? You give to a minister who gives to a minister who gives to a minister who passes this on on a national basis so that people in Galatia are helping out people in Corinth. Corinth was always richer than Galatia, but yet there came a time, partially because of Paul, because Paul was talking to the treasurer of Corinth, telling them, you know, you should do this by free will offerings instead of by forced taxation. <laughs> That's the key to the kingdom. You should be taking care of the welfare of the needy of your society through free will offerings. Corinth remembered when they used to do that, you know, hundreds of years before. We used to do that in America hundreds of years ago. Took care of all the social welfare needs through faith, hope, and charity. We don't do that anymore. Now we do it through force, fear, and violence. Because we're all a nation of zombies. And the zombies are growing in number day by day because everybody who gets bits thinks that they can bite somebody else. <laughs> they think they need to bite somebody else to get back those things that have been bitten away from them. Be careful you do not bite one another lest you be devoured. That's what's taking place. Now let's, let's get into it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I sent out a, a, something I actually thought it went out the other day, but it actually only went out this morning. But uh, it was on uh, our government page. Uh, government is presently defined as governing body of a nation, state, or community. Uh, the word is also defined as a system by which a nation, state, or community is governed. The action or manner of controlling and regulating uh, a nation, organization, or people. Well, people think government is this forceful thing, but you see, if you are governing yourself, you see, that's one of the things you want to look up is the word. This, we assume that government is a matter of force by those who govern, but the word govern only means contact. Uh, conduct, the policy, actions, and affairs of the state, organization, or the people. So the conduct of the people, how you govern yourself, can be the government. And see, one form of government, the leaders are titular. They have no power over the people. People have all the power. They have the power of the purse strings. They have the power of decision. They have the power of justice. They have the power of mercy. Because they are in control of themselves. Not anybody else, just of themselves. So this is what Israel was. This is what the early church was. The people had the power to give or not give. The people had the power to forgive or not to forgive. The people had the power to judge or not to judge. 
the church only could function according to the power that was granted to the, them by the people. But they did not have the power to exercise authority one over the other, over people. The dominion, only dominion they were given power over is what the people chose to give them. And they did this not to some central pope, but they gave it to a minister they could watch and observe and see what he did. And that minister gave to a minister. And that minister gave to a minister. And the highest amongst them was servant to all because you only gave to those who actually provided the services of government the way John the Baptist said. Those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. This is what it says in, in 150 AD. We see the, the apology of Justin talking about how the church worked. Well, how do you know who doesn't have enough? And, and how do you know what to give them? I mean, the body pumps blood around your body. You know, the heart pumps blood. But it, the, even though the heart just keeps pumping and pumping, you have different capillary actions and veins throughout the body where they will tense and slow down the flow of blood to this part of the body or speed it up to another part of the body. When you're running, the blood flows through your legs more. When you're not running, the blood may flow to your stomach more because you're digesting. And the body is making this decision through the capillary action of the body, not the heart. The heart just keeps pumping. Now the heart can get a stimulation that we need a little bit more blood down here and it may pump, but a lot of the time, it's just going to pump steadily. And as a matter of fact, most of the work that the body does, it does at night when the heart is actually resting. So the same thing in the body of Christ, that you have this capillary action that goes to different parts of the body, and somebody says, we have a need over here. And so people are already giving, if they really are believers, because they believe in giving rather than taking. They believe in serving rather than being served. Because that's the heart of Christ who came to serve rather than be served. So they gather not for what they can get. They don't gather because I won't have to buy anything. They gather because I get to give. And I get to give in a way that keeps on giving. In other words, teach a man... Give a man a fish, you feed him today. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for the rest of his life. As long as the fishing is good. <laughs> but the point is you teach him responsibility to take care of himself. Now, some people can't take care of themselves, but you'd be surprised how many people that can't make it. Maybe they have, you know, I mean, you, you can go Google this and you'll see, you know, guys who are quadriplegics, paraplegics, born without a limb or lost a limb in the military, and uh, they do remarkable things. They they are not totally, they don't think, no, I can't. They think, yes, I can. But they don't think, yes, I can by electing somebody who will do it for me. They think, yes, I can, I'll do it myself. And yeah, they get people that help them get going, but they get going. And so this is this is what the church, this is the spirit of the church. You know, if you don't work, you don't eat. 
if you can't work but want to do something, you'd be surprised everybody can do something. But, that, you know, this idea of creating a gift economy is really important towards the keys of the kingdom. And this is what Christ was doing. And you're not going to be free any other way until you learn to govern yourselves as Christ did. And how did Christ govern himself? He came to give, not to be given to. So are you gathering together to give or to be given to, to receive? Now, ministers have to guard themselves against gathering so that people think of them as a minister because they they have a certain insecurity. And we all do. And but you know, maybe they their life has not been extremely successful, so they you know, they, they feel a little insecure and they want people to look up to them as a minister because that's the only thing they've really achieved is they have been able to minister to other people, have been able to and God has given them maybe even a gift for that. So they want other people to think of them. Not necessary. You don't need other people to confirm in your heart what God has given you. And you cannot hold it against people if they don't confirm that. Or even say to the contrary. You have to forgive them. Otherwise, you lock yourself away from the kingdom. Jesus was forgiving people who pounded nails into him. Jesus was forgiving people who condemned him to death. Jesus was forgiving people who spit upon him. And he rose again from the dead. If you don't learn to do that, you will not rise again either. That is the key to the kingdom, is that forgiveness. In Revelations, we see probably more than any other place in the Bible, we see the words keys mentioned. You know, like Revelations 118, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of heaven, or excuse me, of hell and of death. He has the keys of heaven too, but in this particular verse he's talking about he has the keys to hell. What? To let you out of hell. To let you out of the, your bondage. You know, somebody just sent me an article. I haven't been able to read the whole thing, but you know, the, uh, Britain wanted to remove itself of the U- European Union to, to get back its power over its own borders. Again, somebody is complaining that they're losing rights because of the fact that Great Britain is removing itself. And they're questioning the ability to even remove itself. From within Great Britain, they're questioning that ability because they're depriving somebody else of some rights by doing so. The problem is is they are entangled again in a yoke of bondage. The whole nation. And they can't get free as easy as they thought. How do you get free? How do you unlock? How do you get free? You have to become like Christ. There is no other way back to freedom. Revelation 3, 7. And to the angels of the church of Philadelphia, I write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, 
and shutteth, and no man openeth. That's one of the things that we have to, you know, because God talks about doors as well as keys. And he says he is the door. And he talks over and over, you know, like the, the virgins. And, and the people invited to the wedding feast, to the marriage feast. And, the, and after some came in, the door was shut. And those who were not prepared were left out. They bang, let us in, let us in. No, the door is shut. When, when winter comes, you can't get up in the mountains for firewood. You need to cut it now. You need to start giving now. You want to be free? You are entangled again in the yoke of bondage. I explained all this. I was just talking to somebody the other day while I was working. And explained to him, he says, well, who owns this place? I says, well, you have the legal title, but the legal title does not include the beneficial interest. And the beneficial interest is the right to use the property. That's the definition of legal title. So, therefore, that means that property is subject to a use tax. You call it property tax. You stop paying that. They take the use away from you and give it to somebody else. And you get nothing. In the state of Oregon, you don't get a dime. You know, a couple thousand dollars in taxes, they take a $120,000, $200,000 home away from you and sell it to somebody else, and they keep all the money. You don't get a dime. They terminate your ownership just because of a couple years of taxes missing. And you say, well, I own this place. No, you do not. You are renting, and you're paying a use tax. You don't own the beneficial interest. So he says, well, who does? The definition tells you that legal title is the antithesis of equitable title, who the law considers to be the true owner of the property. The true owner of the property, the title to the land that you live on, whether wherever you're at in America, if you have a legal title, is held in trust by a bankrupt government who has held it up as collateral for its debt. And now, who owns Oregon? Idaho. Washington. Does China own it? Who owns Southern California? Nevada. Saudi Arabia? Do they own it? Well, they certainly have claims on it. That's That seems to be the focus, and I'm sure there are other parts of the country that there is focus on also. The fact is, how will the pillar of fire of God stand between you and an invading army that might come here to take back what is rightfully theirs? You're not going to be able to stop them. Only God can stop them. Now, I just gave you a hint at prophecy that I don't usually give out. <laughs> anyway, I'll let you figure that out. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Who are we talking about that? Well, we can talk about a lot of people. We can talk about people who are going to use UCC. People are, you know, like uh, Judge Anna, whatever her name is, <laughs> Radzinger or whatever, Ritz. Um, they're not entering by the door. What, how do you enter by the door? You need the keys. What do you need? Forgiveness. It was the, oh, it's the Illuminati. It's the it's the Freemasons. It's the Democrats. It's the it's all these other guys. No, 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 no. It's you. The way you've been governing yourselves has fallen short of the ways of Christ. The door. That's why you're in trouble. You need to repent. You need to think a different way. Stop blaming everything on everybody else. 
But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Somebody just told me, I'm not a sheep, I'm a shepherd. But he wants to do UCC. He wants to follow all these other schemes and, and that are really not the answer. They are, they're just thieves and robbers too. They, they, they are not friends of the unrighteous mammon. And they will not be suitable for more righteous habitation. And when bad things really start happening, they will not have a pillar of fire between them and destruction. You want that pillar of fire between you and destruction? Start sharing. You're, you know, this is what Philos talks about the Israelites in Egypt. When the plagues were coming and the water was all contaminated, they shared their water. They filled each other's water vases. How did they fill them? Well, their water vases were like Berkey water filters. <laughs> they were, they were purifying the water through these clay, uh, water vases. And they, the water that they purified, they shared with their friends in Egypt, their neighbors in Egypt. Which is why thousands of Egyptians left with them when they left. It wasn't just Israel that was saved. It was those who followed the way of the shepherd, of caring about one another. To him the porter openeth. The porter is a doorkeeper. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. I know people that are men of service but also have become angry, judgmental. Not a lot. Not like most people, but a little bit. And it is cutting them off. Otherwise, the Egyptians threw money at the Israelites and the Egyptians leaving with the Israelites because of the fact that they had been the FEMA during the disasters of the Pharaoh. They had been the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary. The ministers of the church can only do that if they learn to give and forgive and the people learn to give and forgive and start conducting themselves like Christ who came to serve rather than be served. They don't want to buy, join a buy-nothing club. They want to join a gift in society that strengthens the poor. And the stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. And they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. In other words, he was giving them a metaphor, and they didn't get it. They were explaining how important this focus on ourselves is. And they didn't get it. The parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Verse 7, Then said Jesus unto them again, see, saying this twice, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. There were sheep that did hear them. They What they heard is there's free hay over here. There's free grain over here. 
And they come to that. But Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man entereth in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out. Go in and out and find pasture. You have to give and forgive. You have to gather together to give and forgive. Not just with your buddies, but with everybody. With saints and sinners. And you give to the sinners in a way that strengthens them. You give to the lazy in a way that strengthens them, makes them no longer lazy. You you don't feed the bears, it makes them dependent. <laughs> you help them become men. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, and to bite one another. They want free stuff. They like free stuff. Everybody likes free stuff. No, you need to be liking to give. Freely give, so that you may freely receive. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catches them and scatter the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. So he's talking about professional politicians. They don't care for you. They don't love you. They love the power that you've given them. You create offices of power. Men who seek power seek office. You create offices of service. Men who seek service. Those men need to know how to forgive and give more so than the people they serve. And they need to serve the people in a way that teaches the people how to give and forgive. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and I am known of mine. So anyway, we need to understand that. We need to act according to that. We need to be Christ. Right now, the modern Christian is not really a believer. He doesn't believe in faith, open charity. He still believes that if I elect this Caesar... I will be saved. And if I don't elect this Caesar, I will be condemned. No, you need to govern yourself as Christ governed himself. And as the early Christians governed themselves in this one form of government that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, where the reins of control of your life are in your hands. Now, that's not where you're starting. You're entangled. Just like Great Britain is entangled in the yoke of bondage as they made agreements because their parents made agreements. Now you have to turn that around. You want to turn that around, you have to turn your own thinking around. You have to take responsibility for your forgiving and your giving and your neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor's children. You have to create a system that operates by that perfect law of liberty 
or you will not be set free. And that means you have to come together and start caring about one another in real ways that make a real difference. And see what that which you do not see now. You see, the knowledge that they did not have, that the, the lawyers and the, and the false ministers and the rulers kept them from is the knowledge that only comes by giving and by forgiving. Because that draws you near to God. Now, you can have, many men have religious experiences. Uh, spiritual experiences. But they still can come to a wall. And that wall is usually built of unforgiveness. And it may be even built of ungiving. And this is why I say men who have families have had to give all their life to their family. Now, not all fathers and mothers do that giving. But they've been confronting that idea of I, I'd rather stay asleep, but I have to get up and take care of this kid. And sometimes they do it impatiently, and they see that. If they see that, they can overcome it. If they don't see it, or they want to think they're, you know, I, I've seen people say, I can't wait till school starts and get these kids out of the house. And it's completely foreign to us. We never had that idea of, you know, as a matter of fact, we had the opposite. Well, where did that, why did we have the opposite of thinking, well, we can teach the kids. We don't, you know, it just seems strange to us to put a kid on a bus and send them 50 miles away to go to school. And we thought, well, we could homeschool these. And we did. And we were changed by our choices. You've been changed by your choices, but you can make new choices. And start changing back. That is repentance. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. been listening to the keys of the kingdom with brother gregory of his holy church for more information on the educational ministry provided by his holy church and brother gregory including services counseling lectures books and other audio materials please write to his church at summer lake box 10 summer lake oregon 97640 You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.